Ram, Shri Guru, Shri Vitaapadakamalam, Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha, Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitamstam Sajivam, Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam, Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishatam Vitamscha, Vanchakapachu Bishaki Pasindavyevacha Patitinam Pavan Avio Vaishnavavio Namoma. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's July 1st, 2020, Hawaii over the internet, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 21, Instructions by Maharaj Prithu, Text 27. Asti Yagya Patir Nama Asti Arhasatta Maha Ihamutra chalakshante. Jokes not vatya kvachid bhuvaha. Please chant. Asti. Asti. There must be. There must be. Yagyapatihi. The enjoyer of all sacrifices. Nama of the name Keshanchit in the opinion of some Arha Samataha Oh, most respectable Iha in this material world Amutra after death, Cha, also, Lakshante, it is visible, Jotsnya Vatyaha, powerful, beautiful, Kvachit, somewhere, Bhuvaha, Bodies. Bodies. Not to do. I think I just muted it. My Shri Prabhupada's translation. My dear respectable ladies and gentlemen, according to the authoritative statements of Shastra, there must be a supreme authority who is able to award the respective benefits of our present activities. Otherwise. Why should there be persons who are unusually beautiful and powerful, both in this life and in the life after death? Srila Prabhupada's purport. Prithu Maharaj's sole aim, it's, by the way, it's a very long purport. Prithu Maharaj's sole aim in ruling his kingdom was to raise the citizens to the standard of God consciousness. Since there was a great assembly in the arena of sacrifice, there were different types of men present but he was especially interested in speaking to those who were not atheists. It has already been explained in the previous verses that Pritchard Maharaj advised the citizens to become adhoksajadhyaha, which means God-conscious or Krishna-conscious. And in this verse, he specifically presents the authority of Shastra, even though his father was a number one atheist who did not abide by the injunctions mentioned in the Vedic Shastras who practically stopped all sacrificial performances and who so disgusted the brahmanas that they not only dethroned him but cursed and killed him. Atheistic men do not believe in the existence of God and thus they understand everything which is happening... Mm. Sorry, I lost it. Thus they understand everything which is happening in our daily affairs to be due to physical arrangement and chance. Atheists believe in the atheistic Sankhya philosophy of the combination of Prakriti and Purusha. They believe only in matter and hold that matter under certain conditions of amalgamation gives rise to the living force, 
which then appears as Purusha, the enjoyer. Then, by a combination of matter and the living force, the many varieties of material manifestation come into existence. Nor do atheists believe in the injunctions of the Vedas. According to them, all the Vedic injunctions are simply theory that have no practical application in life. Taking all this into consideration, Prithimar suggested that theistic men will solidly reject the views of the atheists on the grounds that there cannot be many varieties of, of existence without the plan of a superior intelligence. Atheists very vaguely explain that these varieties of existence occur simply by chance, but the theists who believe in the injunctions of the Vedas must reach all their conclusion under the direction of the Vedas. In the Vishnu Purana, it is said that the entire Varnashram institution is meant to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The rules and regulations set up for the execution of the duties of Brahmanas, Kachiyas, Vaishyas and Shudras or Brahmacharis, Pahastas, Vandaprastas and Sannyasis are all meant to satisfy the Supreme Lord. At the present moment, although the so-called Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas and Sudras have lost their original culture, they claim to be Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas and Sudras by birthright. Yet they have rejected the proposition that such social and spiritual orders are especially meant for worship of Lord Vishnu. The dangerous Mayavada theory set forth by Sankaracharya that God is impersonal, does not tally with the injunction of the Vedas. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu therefore described the Mayavadi philosophers as the greatest offenders against the personality of Godhead. According to the Vedic system, one who does not abide by the orders of the Vedas is called a Nastika, or atheist. When Lord Buddha preached his theory of nonviolence, he was obliged to deny the authority of the Vedas, and for this reason he was considered by the followers of the Vedas to be Nastika. But although Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu very clearly enunciated that the followers of Lord Buddha's philosophy are Nastikas or atheists because of their denial of the authority of the Vedas, he considered the Shankarites who wanted to establish Vedic authority by trickery and who actually followed the Mayavad philosophy of Buddhist school to be more dangerous than the Buddhists themselves. The Shankarite philosopher's theory that we have to imagine a shape of God is more dangerous than denial of the existence of God. Notwithstanding all the philosophical theorizing by atheists or Mayavadis, the followers of Krishna consciousness rigidly live according to the injunctions given in the Bhagavad Gita, which is accepted as the essence of all Vedic scripture. In Bhagavad Gita 1846, it is said, By worship of the Lord, who is the source of all beings and who is all-pervading, man can, in the performance of his own duty, attain perfection. This indicates that the Supreme Personality of Godhead is the original source of everything, as described in the Vedanta Sutra, Janma Yasya Yataha, 111, Srimad Bhagavatam. The Lord himself also confirms in the Bhagavad Gita, Aham Sarvasya Prabhavaha, Bhagavad Gita 10.8, I am the origin of everything. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is the original source of all emanations, and at the same time, as Paramatma, he has spread all of our existence. The absolute truth is therefore the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and every living being is meant to satisfy the Supreme Godhead by performing his respective duties. Swakarmana Tam Abhyarchya, Bhagavad Gita 1846. Again, Maharaj Pritchard wanted to introduce this formula amongst his citizens. The most important point in human civilization is that while one engages in different occupational duties, he must try to satisfy the Supreme Lord by the execution of such duties. That is the highest perfection of life. Swanus titasya dharmasya samsit here hari toshanam. Bhagavatam 1, 2, 13. By discharging one's prescribed duty, one can become very successful in life if he simply satisfies the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The vivid example is Arjuna. He was a ksatriya, his duty was to fight, and by executing his prescribed duty, he satisfied the Supreme Lord and therefore became perfect. Everyone should follow this principle. The atheists who do not are condemned in Bhagavad Gita 16.19 by the following statement, Tan aham dvishita kuran samsadeshu naradamam. In this verse, it is clearly said that persons who are envious of the Supreme Personality of Godhead are the lowest of mankind and are very mischievous 
Under the regulative principles of the Supreme, such mischievous persons are thrown into the darkest region of material existence and are born of suras, or atheists. Birth after birth, such asuras go still further down, finally to animal forms like those of tigers or similar ferocious beasts. Thus, for millions of years, they have to remain in darkness without knowledge of Krishna. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is known as Purushottama, the best of all living entities. He is a person, like all other living entities, but he is the leader or the best of all living beings. This is stated in the Vedas also. Nicho Nichanam Chaitanas Chaitananam, Katha Upanishad 2.2.13. He is the chief of all eternals, the chief of all living entities, and he is complete and full. He has no need to derive benefit by interfering with the affairs of other living entities, but because he is the maintainer of all, he has the right to bring them to a proper standard so that all living entities may become happy. A father wants all of his children to become happy under his direction. Similarly, God or Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, has the right to see that all living entities are happy. There is no possibility of becoming happy within this material world. The Father and the sons are eternal, but if a living entity does not come to the platform of his eternal life of bliss and knowledge, there is no question of happiness. Although Purushottama, the best of all living entities, has no benefit to derive from the common living entities, he does have the right to discriminate between their right and wrong ways. The right way is the path of activities meant to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as we have already discussed. Swanus titasya dharmasya samsakir hari toshanam. Bhagavatam 1.2.13 A living entity may engage in any occupational duty, but if he wants to have perfection in his duties, he must satisfy the Supreme Lord. As such, one who pleases him gets better facilities for living, but one who displeases him gets involved in undesirable situations. It is therefore concluded that there are two kinds of duties, mundane duty and duty performed for the sake of yajna or sacrifice, yajna tat karma. Any karma activity one performs which is not for the purpose of yajna is a cause, cause of bondage, yajna tat karma no natra loko yam yam, loko yam karma bandhanaha. Work then as a sacrifice for Vishnu has to be performed Otherwise, work binds one to this material world, Bhagavad Gita 3.9. Karma bandhanaha, or the bondage of karma, is administered under the regulation of the stringent laws of material nature. Material existence is a struggle to conquer the impediments put forth by material nature. The asuras are always fighting to overcome these impediments, and by the illusory power of material nature, the foolish living entities work very hard within this material world and take this to be happiness. This is called maya. In that hard struggle for existence, they deny the existence of the supreme authority, Purushottama, the supreme personality of Godhead. In order to regulate the activities of the living entities, God has given us codes, just as a king gives codes of law in a state, and whoever breaks the law is punished. Similarly, the Lord has given the infallible knowledge of the Vedas, which are not contaminated by the four defects of human life, namely the tendency to commit mistakes, to be illusion, to cheat, and to have imperfect senses. If we do not take direction from the Vedas, but act whimsically, according to our own choice, we are sure to be punished by the laws of the Lord, who offers different types of bodies in the 8,400,000 species of forms. Material existence, or the sense gratification process, is conducted according to the type of body we are given by prakriti, or material nature. As such, there must be divisions of pious and impious activities, punya and papa. In Bhagavad Gita 7.28, it is clearly said, Yesham twantakitam papam jananam punyakarmanam te dwandwa mohanir mukta bhajante mam vrataha. One who has completely surpassed the resultant activities of the impious path of life, this is possible only when one engages exclusively in pious activities, can understand his eternal relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thus one engages in the Lord's transcendental loving service. This life of engaging always in the loving service of the Lord is called adhoksajadiyaha, or a life of Krishna consciousness, which King Prithu meant his citizens to follow. The different varieties of life and material existence do not come about by chance and necessity. They are different arrangements made by the Supreme Lord in terms of the pious and impious activities of the living entities. By performing pious activities, 
One can take birth in a good family, in a good nation. One can get a beautiful body or can become very well educated or very rich. We see, therefore, that in different places and in different planets, there are different standards of life, bodily features, and educational statuses, all awarded by the Supreme Personality of Godhead according to pious or impious activities. Varieties of life, therefore, develop not by chance, but by prearrangement. There is a plan, which is already outlined in the Vedic knowledge. One has to take advantage of this knowledge and mold his life in such a way that the end, especially in the human form of life, he may go back home, back to Godhead, by practicing Krishna consciousness. The theory of chance can best be explained in the Vedic literature by the words Agyata Sukriti, which refer to pious activities performed without the actor's knowledge. But these are also planned. For example, Krishna comes like an ordinary human being, he comes as a devotee like Lord Chaitanya, or he sends his representative, the spiritual master or pure devotee. This is also the planned activity of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They come to canvas and educate, and thus a person in the illusory energy of the Supreme Lord gets a chance to mix with them, talk with them, and take lessons from them, and somehow or other, if a conditioned soul surrenders to such personalities and by intimate association with them chances to become Krishna conscious, he is saved from the material conditions of life. Krishna therefore instructs, Sarvadharma and Prachaja, Mamme Kamsharam Braja, Abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender unto me. I shall deliver you from all sinful reactions. Do not fear. Bhagavad Gita 1866. The word Sarva means from all sinful activities. A person who surrenders unto him by utilizing the chance to associate with the pure devotee, spiritual master, or other authorized incarnation of Godhead like Prithimaraj is saved by Krishna. Then his life becomes successful. So that was a very long purport. And going back to look at the verse. Asti yagya pati nama keshan chit arhasat tamaha iham mutra chalakshyante jots navatya kvachid bhuvaha my dear respectable ladies and gentlemen, according to the authoritative statements of Shastra, there must be a supreme authority who is able to reward the respective benefits of our present activities. Otherwise, why should there be persons who are unusually beautiful and powerful, both in this life and in the life after death? So, Yagipati, the enjoyer of all sacrificers, the... Master, Pati means husband, the master of all yagya, the master of all. Uh, yagya Prabhupada often translates with the English word sacrifice. Uh, but here he's saying the respective benefits of our present activities. So here Prabhupada is talking about yagya as involving uh, practically any activity that we do. The word yagya particularly applies to some sort of a ritual, some kind of ceremony, uh, some means of connecting ourselves to the Supreme, connecting ourselves to the Divine, to a higher power. And here Prithu is speaking to the Arha Satamaha, the respectable people, about this point. So why are there varieties? Why are there varieties? Why are some people Jochnavatyaha? Why are some people especially beautiful, right? There are some people that are so beautiful that when we just see them, we become almost stunned, isn't it? I've told the story before how many, many years ago, I, probably 30 years ago, I was in an airport and there was this one young woman who was so extraordinarily beautiful that everybody who walked past her, male, female, young, old, just stared at her. <laughs> I mean... I was thinking it would be a little inconvenient to go through your life like that. But some people are that beautiful, and some people, most people are, by definition, average, and some people are really unattractive. Some people, instead of staring at them, one turns your face away, you you don't want to look at them. And some people are very powerful. You know, we have people who, what's his name, Usain Bolt, (laughs) what an interesting name. You know, this very fast runner, and, and 
he's very powerful. And other people, you know, can barely get out of bed or walk down the stairs. And then there's so many species. Some species are beautiful, like horses, Prabhupada said, are the most beautiful animal. And there's some varieties of horses that are extraordinarily uh, beautiful. Just, again, they're so beautiful that you, you just are, are mesmerized by them. And other animals like, you know, warthogs, <laughs> they're, they're hideous. Right? It, you hardly, hardly in some, there, there are some other creatures, right? They're, they're just, they're so ugly that it's hard to even look at them or perhaps we're fascinated by their ghastliness. And then there are animals that are very powerful, you know, like elephants or, or blue whales. And then there are animals that are, you know, very insignificant, some teeny tiny bug that you can sweep away with a breath. Right? So all this variety, there are uh, plants, that are especially beautiful. The lotus, the rose, right? And some that are exceptionally fragrant. You put a couple lilies in your in your house and the whole house is perfumed for days. And then other flowers are, have no real attractiveness at all. They practically blend in with the leaves. Now they're insignificant. There's some flowers that actually smell bad. You know, some plants that smell bad. So why is all this variety? Why Some places that are beautiful, some geographical places, people go to the places just to see the place, to see the waterfall and the, the rock formations, right? the beautiful trees, like in Hawaii, many of you are listening from Hawaii, and people go there just to see the beauty of the place, to see the beauty of nature, and, and other uh, places in nature are ugly. Like I remember uh, we were once in in uh, South Dakota in what's called the Badlands. It was just ugly. It was just rocks. <laughs> you know, just, just miles and miles of, of... And very ordinary rocks. You know, just like plain brown rocks. It was just ugly. So why this variety? Where did it come from? So Prithamaras is saying here, that this variety is evidence for the existence of God. Now, we should keep in mind that he's speaking to respectable people. I, I take note that Prabhupada says, my dear respectable ladies and gentlemen, is how um, Prabhupada translates this. So, preacher is speaking to people who are already inclined towards seeing God, who are already inclined towards believing in God, who are already inclined towards piety. Because, as Prabhupada points out in the purport, the atheists take the variety as just chance. Right? They just say, well, just by chance there's so much variety. Of course, that doesn't really make much sense. You know, if everything came about by chance, why would there be so much variety? There's not a need for so much variety to sustain life. I mean, if life itself came apart by chance, as Prabhupada speaks about in this purport, if life came about from a combination of matter that happened by chance, why would it evolve into something else? You know, if the first life was a simple cell, well, there's plenty of simple cells around on the planet. There's billions and billions and gazillions (laughs) There, there was no need for a cell to evolve into something else in order to live better. It wasn't that the cells are not adapted to living on Earth. And there's so many different kinds of one-celled creatures. There's varieties, you know, there's varieties of trees and there's varieties of the varieties, right? There's varieties of fish, there's varieties of lizards, there's varieties of humans. That's not necessary for life. Now, the, the vast majority of the variety that we see, there's one, I forget his name, one Muslim scholar who makes this point that the variety, his contention is the variety is for beauty, for ornamentation. He says like when you build a building, an architect can build a building just for practicality, just for functionality. 
said, but a good architect add things for beauty. If we look at, especially if you go through Europe, and you look at the older buildings that are made out of carved stone. Oh, why? You don't need that. You don't need to have fancy stone carvings on the outside of your building in order to live nicely in your building. Or, or even in your house, like where I'm staying, you can probably see there's a painting on the wall over there. There's a painting here you can't see. And the, at the bottom of the walls, there's what we call molding. It's also around the doors and... You know, it's not. It's for aesthetics. It's not necessary for functionality. You know, if you just wanted a purely functional, practical room, and like the walls here are painted, kind of a very light green, and the walls in the other room are painted other colors. So that's not necessary just for functionality. I mean, why would a, a chance, a totally random chance process? Why would it produce life at all? What is the need to have life? How, why would it even happen? And then why all these varieties? And nobody can answer that question. You know, and not only are there varieties of species and kinds, there's varieties of inclination. Prabhupada talks in this purport more than once about Brahman, Satriyas, Vaishyashudras. So we have different inclinations. We have different things we enjoy. We have different ways we like to be. You know, some of us want to manage people and take care of them and make sure they're all fed and all taken care of, and others of us aren't interested at all. Others of us would rather, you know, work in our home on our art. <laughs> I was speaking to a devotee like that who said, yeah, I can manage people, but I don't like it. I'd rather be, you know, painting paintings. Some people love to make money, and other people are like, why do I be interested in money? Some people love to research and study, and other people are like, why do you want to waste your time? <laughs> so we have different inclinations, each of us, and we each, each of us is unique. We can categorize ourselves into four varnas, but even within those four varnas, each of us is unique. There's no two people that are exactly alike, in inclination, in body type, anything. You know, we're, we're... What do they say? You're special just like everyone else? But it's true. And this is true for plants. Every leaf on a plant is somewhat different. Every flower on the same plant is somewhat different. Each animal of the same species has their own personality. I mean, why would that have come about by chance? What, what is the need of that? It's not, it's, there's, no, there's no explanation. You know, I'm sure the atheists can think of one, but there's no rational explanation. It's done by some superior intelligence. And then what about advantages? You know, it, it's interesting, at the present moment, there's a lot of talk about uh, privilege, that some people are more privileged than others. And in some places, that privilege is accorded by caste. You know, if you're born in a Brahmin family, you're more privileged than someone born in a Vaishya family. In some places, these things are given by society according to, you know, skin, hair, color, how much melanin you have in your skin. Other places, this is accorded according to education and and job status. Other places, according to gender, sometimes a mix of all of these things that different people have different privilege. And some of it is just, you know, even if you're in an underprivileged category, if you're born into a family with great wealth and great education, we call it the SES, socioeconomic status. So if your family has a lot of money and uh, your parents are very well educated and they have very high status careers, then you're going to be very privileged. When we were, when I was uh, getting my doctorate in education, they said the greatest predictor of IQ scores is SES. The greatest predictor of academic grades is, is SES. The greatest predictor of you know, so-called success in life is SES. How much money your parents have, how educated your parents were, and how high status their career was. Of course, those things, what's a high status career, the definition of that varies from one society to another. 
So we can look at that and say that the situation of one group being more privileged than another or one individual being more privileged than another because we find that even in some privileged groups there are individuals without any privilege. Like we can say that in America the whites are privileged over the blacks and that's uh, that's generally true. But there are many people who are white skin who have a very uh, horrible situation and there are people with black skin who have a very uh, high situation. So then there are also individuals. And where does this ha- how does this happen? Is it only the result of improper behavior by human beings against each other? Is that the only cause? We can say that's a cause, and that's a, we can say that's a cause that should be fixed. But that's not the only cause. It's not the only cause, because Mare Krishna Rakike Rakike Krishna Marike. Nobody can hurt me unless I deserve it by my past karma, and nobody can help me unless I deserve it by my past karma. So all these situations are a result of our own pious and impious activities. That's not to say that society shouldn't work for social justice. Those two things can be held together. Why should society work for social justice? Because it's to our benefit to try to help people who are in a difficult situation, even though that situation is the result of their own activities. It's beneficial for us to be helpful to others. If, if, we're, if we say to people, well, you know, you're in your situation because of your own karma, then we become hard-hearted and we actually get bad karma. So the, especially the government and society, and we talked about this before, should be treating all of the citizens with equal opportunity. Every, there shouldn't, people shouldn't be discriminated against because they're from a lower varna or they're of a different skin concentration of melanin or because of their national origin or their gender or something like that. Everybody should be treated fairly and equally with equal opportunity, and the government should see to that. But even if there's a government like that, still some people will be smarter than others, and some people will be stronger than others, and some people uh, will be richer than others. Because it's, it's due to our past karma, it's due to some laws of nature. I mean, when I first understood I mean, as far as anyone can understand, not that anyone can perfectly understand the law of karma except for maybe Yamaraj, but when I first came to understand this law of karma and reincarnation from the devotees, it was such a relief. It was like, oh, the world makes sense. The world actually makes sense. Everything isn't just random. And these laws of nature are coming from a personal God who, as Prabhupada says in this purport, wants us to be happy. You know, they, they come from wanting us to be happy. If we eat food that's in accord with our body, we'll be healthy. And if we eat food that's not in accord with our body, we'll become unhealthy. That's not due to malice on the part of God. So in a similar way, if we do pious activities, we get good situations, and we do sinful activities, we get bad situations. And superficially, our good or bad situations may appear to be the result of this or that, mood at the culture at the time and that's also a factor of course but ultimately it's our own activities and the reactions to our own activities that put us in that situation so that's not chance and these pious and sinful activities have been defined by God to bring us to the point of ultimate spiritual happiness they're not capricious they're not whimsical they're not like you know some God there well I'm just going to decide that this is good and this is bad. You know, just I, I remember visiting a family once where the mother would make up rules on the fly, as we say. You know, well, you can't do this. So why not? The kids would say, "Oh, it's a rule." She'd say, "I'd say we don't have any rule like that." <laughs> and it, it's not due to favoring somebody. It's not that God is like, you know, I really like you. So you get a break, and I don't like you. <laughs> no, and the, the rules are in accord with truth. What will actually make us happy? What will bring us to real Krishna consciousness? So if we follow those laws given in the Vedas of piety, we become happier. And if we don't follow them, we become unhappier, relatively speaking. And ultimately, by following the Vedic rules, 
If we come to surrender to Krishna, we become unlimitedly happy. So there, there's a system in place. It's not just something random. There is a system. There's not chance. Now Prabhupada said, there is a kind of chance. In this purport he said, the kind of chance that does exist in the universe is agyata sukriti. This is pious activities you don't know you're doing. You're kind of tricked. You know, it, it's like you, you might trick a child into eating healthy food. When my daughter was an infant, she didn't like to eat anything other than fruit and sweets. She, she just refused to eat anything else. From the time she ate, started eating solid food until she was about two or two and a half. But she would like pancakes. So what I did was I would cook beans and rice and vegetables into the pancake batter. So that way she was tricked into eating a variety of healthy food. So Krishna also does this because he knows our ultimate happiness is to get out of the law of karma altogether, that even good karma, even if you're you know, in some privileged group and you're beautiful and you're educated and you're rich and you're influential, if you're forgetting Krishna, you're still not going to be happy. So Krishna takes people who are materialistically inclined and, as Prabhupada says, he sends his, his representative, he comes himself, he comes in a disguised form. He plans that. I like a Prabhupada say he plans that. He plans coming. Right? Purjanaya sadunam vinashaya jadushkutam dharma samstapanartaya sambhavandi yuge yuge. He's planning that in order to give living beings a chance without their knowing it to enter into a higher path. So we can look at all variety in this world in the way we've just talked about it. That variety in this world is arranged by superior intelligence according to the karma, good, bad, combination, karma of the living entities that they're getting the resultant actions of their work with the idea that if they're respectable enough and pious enough, they can somehow be tricked or sometimes even impious people. Uh, sometimes even, you know, Valmiki, who's tricked by saying mada, 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 to say Rama, 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 uh, that, he, that people can eventually be tricked to get a chance to come out of samsara and that all of the varieties that exist, whether, you know, you're in, you're in an Antarctic walrus body or you're in, you know, a demigod body, or whatever, <laughs> that they're all there just to facilitate our material life. But there's another purpose for the variety in the world besides just facilitating our material life. And knowing that both of these exist concomitantly, that the varieties exist both to facilitate our material desires as a reaction to our karma, and for this other purpose, Answers a question devotees ask a lot. Uh, is my circumstance a result of Krishna's desire or my own nonsense? And the answer is usually, well, both. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Whatever the cause of our current situation, our degree of privilege or lack of it, our degree of health, our degree of influence, our degree of beauty, and our kind, our degree and kind of these things, our personal inclinations, all of them, uh, they're all meant for Haditoshana. They're all meant to satisfy the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So we have these inclinations, we have these bodies, we have these situations, in one sense, ultimately because we're just, as Prabhupada would say, nonsense rascals. Right? To, to many of us, that doesn't mean much, but for people from India, rascals is a really heavy term. So in, in one sense, we're in this, whatever situation we're in, even a good situation, we're beautiful, we're rich, we're, we're influenced, we can influence others, we're respected, we have an attractive spouse, and beautiful, healthy, intelligent children, and a beautiful home, and even that, you know, whether it's a good or bad thing, it's the result of our materialism, but it's all meant to please the Lord. Whatever situation we're in, whatever occupation we're in, whatever personality we have, 
whatever facility we have, it's all meant to please the Lord. Whether you're some poor person making cups out of banana leaves and drinking out of a cracked iron pot, or whether you know you've got a huge mansion and you're sleeping on silk cushions and being served, you know, fresh watermelon juice, whatever. We should say, how can Krishna be satisfied by what I'm doing? How is how can Krishna be satisfied by who I am and what I do at every moment? How can I use my nature, my inclinations? to satisfy Krishna. It's not a question that I should be so eager to change my situation in this life. You know, often we think, well, let me get in a situation where I can serve Krishna better. Well, in one sense, the only really good situation to serve Krishna is in the spiritual world. There's going to be so many impediments, and what does Krishna say? Every endeavor is covered by fault, like smoke is covering fire. But our aim should be, whatever situation I'm in, I can put some energy into try to making it more favorable for Krishna's service. But the main thing is, whatever situation I'm in, how can I satisfy Krishna in this moment? How can I satisfy Krishna with how I deal with other humans? How can I treat other humans with dignity, with respect, seeing everyone equally, not seeing people according to their body or circumstance? seeing that everyone is loved by the Lord. The Lord is in everyone's heart. Everyone has dignity. Everyone has value. How can I not give anxiety to any living entity and not be disturbed by their behavior? Right in the 11th canto, Krishna says that there's no better process of worship than to see me in every living entity. How can I see Krishna in every circumstance? I was hearing Prabhupada talk about that this morning. You know, that whatever, whatever we see, whatever we taste, whatever we smell, whatever we experience, to see Krishna there. What service can I do for Krishna in this moment? How can I be in a mood of service? How can I be in a mood of thinking, I am this pure soul, I am not this body, I am not these material varieties. How can I use the material varieties that I have in service? How can I use the matter around me, the table, the chair, the phone, the computer, the lights, in service? How can I deal with other living entities, whether they're a little bug on the table or whether they're a human being? How can I engage with other living entities in service? And then all the varieties become glorious. So I'd like to talk about how um, some years ago, I read an account of this one medical doctor, I think he was a neurologist, who was an atheist. And he, he died in the hospital, and he had what's called a near-death experience. And in that experience, he ended up being in a, some celestial realm where he heard hundreds of thousands of voices singing in glorification of God. And he said that he could hear each voice individually and they were each singing their own song, and yet they harmonized. Prabhupada talks about an arrangement of flowers. You know, right now it's the summertime where I am, and there's so many flowers. And when you have, sometimes you can have a vase with just, you know, a dozen roses in it, but often it's more beautiful when you have a variety of flowers of different shapes, different colors, different fragrances, and you may put some leaves in there also, Prabhupada says. And then that becomes beautiful. So our varieties join together, the variety of, of foods, the variety of flowers, the variety of species, the variety of, of inclinations and personalities and tendencies, when all used to glorify the Lord, become glorious. And that's ultimately what the variety is meant for. So the variety is the, is the evidence, at least for respectable people at least for pious people. The variety is evidence that there's a God, there's a master, and then to use it in the service, yagya pati, to do every, to have every act a ceremony of connection with the master. 
that yes, we have certain, for lack of a better word, rituals. We have a ritual of offering our food, a ritual of arati, a ritual of Gayatri chanted. We have our rituals, our ceremonies of connection. But every act can be an act of connection because Krishna is everywhere. He is in everything. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions, chastisements. Um, Thank you for a lovely class. You you talked a lot about um, variety and the, in many ways, arguments to to justify that there must be some some God, there must be some something um, beyond what what seems to be evidence. When we tie God into this, it also sort of makes sense. But when um, and the atheistic arguments, well, actually, they have they have both some pretty good ones and they have some some pretty poor ones. Uh, it seems in the same way, if we try to bring someone into, into the fold of our Vaishnava philosophy, a lot of what we say about how creation came about is also kind of hard to swallow without some, some transcendental faith. For example, we, when we describe creation, you know, there's this personal God that that lays down in some ocean and he breathes and little universes, uh, billions of universes come out of the skin and it's breathing and they expand and expand and then that same God expands himself, he goes into the universe, he perspires, he makes a big ocean, he lays in the ocean, a big snake over his head, a lotus flower grows out of his navel, a four-headed person comes out of there. I mean, it also, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to buy into that. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I, I talked about this before, that nobody offers a story of creation that's not hard to buy into. Nobody. There, there's no one who's come up with a creation story that is not fantastic. Every one of them is fantastic. If you're going to talk about modern scientific theory, that first there was nothing. Then, somehow or other, in that nothing, there was something. And that something was infinitely small and infinitely dense. All right, right there you have something completely unbelievable. That's no more or less unbelievable than four-headed, gigantic blue people breathing out universes. There's nothing, and then from the nothing comes something, and then it gets worse. For some reason, that something explodes. Now, I don't know about you, but if things explode in my world, they create chaos. Like if I put something hot in a blender, and it explodes all over the kitchen, that's chaotic. It doesn't create like planets. So somehow this, this infinitely small, infinitely dense thing explodes, and when it explodes, it creates galaxies and solar systems and planets and moons, and they're all perfectly orbiting, they don't crash. Well, again, that's just as far out as a lotus coming out of somebody's navel. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is equally unbelievable. And then if you're going to say, okay, there was just matter, and then, you know, in some oxygen-deprived atmosphere in an electrical storm the matter all of a sudden became conscious of itself and started reproducing and eating. Nobody's ever seen such a thing. It's completely outside of our experience. It's as much outside of our experience as four-headed people and lotuses coming out of navels. And, you know, it's equally fantastic. At least if we're talking about a person... We know that people can do pretty far out things. I mean, I remember going to the World's Fair when I was six, and there was a demonstration of video phones. You know, 
that's pretty far out that humans can create video phones. That we're having this conversation over the internet is something that, you know, my grandparents would have said was impossible. They would have said this is fantastic, superstitious science fiction. So, you know, human beings, we see that living intelligent beings can do things which appear to be unbelievable. So what's more believable? That there's an, an incredibly humongous, far-out, intelligent being who creates in this very playful, fun, interesting, fantastic way? Or that everything's come about... I mean, and then not only the planets and not only this little cell, but the cell, this one cell that just happens to become aware of its own existence. And by the way, a cell is very complicated... You know, if you study how complicated a cell is, the concept that such a complicated interdependent system could have come about by chance, and then somehow this cell wasn't happy just being a cell and reproducing as more cells like itself. Although, as I said in the class, that would have been fine. So we have the world populated by one one kind of one cell being. Oh, no, no, it... it it mutates somehow or other. And then we have, you know, giraffes and hippopotamuses and, and blue whales and dolphins and hammerhead sharks and oak trees and lilies and... Really? From just a bunch of mutations from one cell happening by chance with no intelligence involved? Like, really? It, it's, that's as unbelievable and as absurd as, you know, Kasyapa and Kaju giving birth to snakes. And Kasyapa and Vinata giving birth to birds. You know, they're, they're not, one is not more fantastic than the other. You know, and then you have the Bible, which is just, God said, okay, let there be all kinds of animals. Poof! There they were. And if there were intermediate steps, it's not explained. He just said, let there be. And there they were. That's pretty fantastic. So if you can come up with a creation story from any culture or any group that does not involve absolutely inconceivable and absolutely unbelievable and absolutely beyond our experience uh, steps, then that would be very interesting. I haven't heard one. They're all far, far, far beyond our everyday experience. Every one of them. So the question is, well, what would you prefer? Would we prefer to believe that the world is, is mechanical? There's no intelligence. There's no guide. It's just pure random chance. And would we, do we want to believe that matter is somehow has that matter is God, that matter somehow has this kind of ability to do all these wonderful things. Or do we want to believe that in a person? What, what do we want to believe? It, it comes, it boils down to that. What, what, what would I prefer? What reality would I prefer to live in? That all the varieties, all the differences, they're just a result of some blind processes material processes with no meaning and no purpose and no direction. You know, I, I exist because there's been billions and billions of mistakes in the genetic code. Or would I prefer to believe that everything is done by a benevolent, loving person? You know, what would I prefer? How do I want to live? It, it boils down to that. It really doesn't boil down to, like what's more rational in terms of my daily experiences because neither of them are I, I don't have experiences of either of these things um, alright so we have a question here and then the question is that Varnashram is made to, meant to satisfy Krishna but do you satisfy Krishna by following Varnashram even if your desire in following it is not to satisfy Krishna well, somewhat. If you think about if you own a business and you have rules for the how you want your employees to behave and you have productivity goals, 
So some people working in that business may really care about the benefit and the profit of the business. They may, they may really want the company they work for to be successful. They may even care personally about the owner or the, the head of the business. And some people are working in the business and they're just trying to make money for themselves, but they're still doing a good job for the business. They're just understanding that if I work for the benefit of the business, that will benefit me. So the head of the company is satisfied with anyone who does their job well and pushes ahead the agenda of the company, whether that person is consciously doing it for the benefit of the company or not. But of course, they're more pleased with someone who's doing it for the benefit of the company. So I don't see any other questions. Anybody else have any other questions before we end? The thought that was going through my mind when we were speaking about one that both are both types, both descriptions of creation are are you know pretty phenomenal and and, and don't make a lot of rational sense. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that in the Gita, Krishna says, "Akesham." So, so how is it that we decide which way we're going to go? And I guess perhaps those that have had some agatha sukriti, which is mentioned in the report today, or somehow Krishna detects within us a desire to to better our life in, in a spiritual sense, and Krishna gives us the intelligence to buy into, if you will or Vaishnava philosophy, or the atheistic philosophy. Well, that's also, uh, that's also a fact. Krishna's responding, Matasma he's responding to our desire to see him or not to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we do that. We do that. If, if somebody doesn't want to see me and doesn't want to have any dealings with me, I may respect that desire and stay out of their life. You know, I mean, that's... Why shouldn't Krishna do that? But there's the point Prabhupada brings up in today's purport about Agyata Sukriti, that Krishna gives us, Krishna plans to give all conditioned souls an opportunity to progress spiritually even without knowing it. And if they do that, then that starts opening up a person's consciousness to be able to understand these things. But they're also always presented. I mean, in every human society, there's some kind of theistic creation story that's presented. It may not be exactly the story that's presented in the Bhagavatam, but there's some story of a personal God who's creating in a personal, deliberate way. So in every society, people, all human beings at least, always have that opportunity. They always have that choice to say, I would prefer to have a personal, a view of, of, of the supernatural, amazing, fantastic, creative process that, that's personal and divine. And what we choose, I mean, ultimately, who can say why some people choose to turn towards God or away from Him? You know, we can talk about Agatha Sukriti, we can talk about association, but ultimately it boils down to the free will of the living entity, which doesn't really have a cause. Mm-hmm. You know, the opportunity to take up bhakti is given just by mercy, by mercy of the devotees, by mercy of the Lord. But whether or not we take to it, and whether we take to it more at one time or another, um, The, the, our free will and our choice is is also inscrutable. Why do I choose what I choose? But when, but when Krishna de- detects that, well, Krishna's responsive. Then he, gives, then he gives us the intelligence. Krishna's responsive. So, but he responds to the atheist too. Correct. Yeah, yeah he was. He's responsive. Good At point. the same time, Krishna is always giving an opportunity for spirituality. 
So he, Prabhupada says 24 hours imperceptibly. Krishna is giving an opportunity for spirituality. So that is also, that is also there. So thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai.